coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 73 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook, who is back from a brief one-week hiatus, and Jeremy Paxton has the week off. And while it's the last shopping week before the Christmas holiday, it was quite the big week in the world of sports as college football bowl season has kicked off in high gear. The state of Texas crowned high school state champions on the gridiron, and the world lost a few icons this week as Alan Thicke and basketball personality Craig Sager passed away at the age of 65. We'll get into all that, plus the Joe Mixon tape that was released Friday here in just a few moments. But uh, before we dive into any of that, Kevin, uh, this is the first time that I've actually been able to sit in a room with you and uh, ask your opinions on the major Apple White hire at the University of Houston. And I-, I haven't heard your opinions. I mean, you're a U of H guy. Do you like the move? Are you telling me that Alan Thicke is dead? I hate to break it to you. This is literally the first I'm hearing about it. Are Alan Thicke is dead? Yeah. That's real? That's not fake news. Wow. I don't know why I feel such a profound sense of loss because I don't know him personally. I wouldn't even say I'm a fan necessarily. He's just sort of been like an omnipresence in my life. I'm used to seeing him around. It will be weird to have that guy be dead and in the ground. So um, RIP, Alan Thicke. Obviously, Craig Sager was the bigger story to me personally, the one I was following and was at least aware of before I walked in the air. But Major Applewhite, yeah, that was a big move. Um, <clears throat> not as big a move as I think some people were hoping or thinking it might be. I like the idea of continuity. Right. I like the idea that these kids know who he is. He's a name, and he'll be a name more to the parents of the kids he'll be recruiting than the kids themselves, I imagine, just given his history history as a quarterback and what he did at the University of Texas. But uh, but I mean, everybody that would know about it seems to be pretty positive on the hire. I like Todd Orlando. He's gone. Of right. Course. Um, so that, I don't know if they were ever going to keep him anyway. So, yeah, it's I'd say if I had to give it a rating, B plus probably uh, major Applewhite. Uh, you know, he's he's obviously talented. He offensive coordinator. Duties, he did very well there. I liked what the defense was doing over the past couple of years the most, which is why I'm so sad to lose Coach Orlando. But you have an All-American returning in Ed Oliver, and he's having, uh, you know, a heck of a bowl game uh, this week. And, you know, phenomenal talent. I think you're going to be fine on the defensive end if he hires the right guy. Well, it's, it's one kid, though. And obviously right. that's a kid you can build around. That's a kid you say, hey, you come play with Ed Oliver over the next three years, and you can really accomplish something. So- he, he's, he's not going to be a four-year guy. You don't think so? No, he's he's clearly going to be a top-five pick after his junior year if he stays healthy. Yeah, well, I mean, he certainly could be, and it would be foolish for him to stay in school at that point. But who knows? Who knows what his motivations are? Who knows what his parents are saying? I have no idea. I don't know the kid personally. But, uh, okay, so you're right. Another two years, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, but but I don't know. You know, He's just one guy on the defense, and I think that the defensive coordinator had a lot to do with why they were successful. It's I mean, it's harder to run against Houston than it is almost any team in the country. So, uh, you know, I am I am cautiously optimistic, I guess. I will wait and see in terms of you know being really over the moon about it. But I like it. I'm pretty happy with the state of things at the moment. As we're recording this, a little peek behind the curtain, uh, it's halftime in the bowl game. Houston's up 10-6, so I'm actually facing the television, which was a terrible decision in setting up our studio <laughs> we, can, we can turn it off. We can turn it off. We should not turn it off, though. I do want to be able to keep apprised of what's going on, and I may, I may totally uh, just zone out while I'm watching this game here, but <laughs> certainly I'd like to end the season with a win, and uh, I think that Major Applewhite is a, is a moderate win in terms of the head coaching position. I think it was a good hire. I mean, the continuity is a huge thing, and that's something that U of H has kind of built a lot of success on. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, Tom Herman, not continuity. I mean, you, you went from Bryles to Sumlin to Levine, just three straight. And I think it helps 
knowing that you're going to have some consistency on the staff rather than having to completely reshape your offense, reshape your defense. So I think that's good. But uh, with a major Applewhite hire, I was a huge fan of him when he was at the University of Texas. I mean, he was a guy that wasn't the most talented, but he was a hard worker. He always uh, he had that winning mentality that he was going to go out there and get the job done no matter what it took. And I think to me, I like that in a head coach. I'm not sure personality-wise he's a great fit for the job, but you know, time will tell. What, what do you think makes for a good personality? I think the, the players have to buy into him and want to play for him. I, I think I think players want to play for a winner, and I think Major Applewhite checks that box. Uh, but, you know, he, he's had a little bit of checkered past, I guess you can say, with this incident at the University of Texas. But, you know, I think it is a good move for uh, University of Houston to, to hire him over somebody like Elaine Kiffin. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, who, was, I was thrilled they avoided that. Right. And, and, and Elaine Kiffin, you know, was announced as the head coach at Florida Atlantic University. And, of course, the first person that he signs is a quarterback who, uh, you know, a Florida State transfer who was actually at Eastern Mississippi mm-hmm. Community College who uh, broke a woman's jaw. Yeah. And so that's the first person that he signs. And, I, you know, Dr. Couture does not want that kind of person at the university and so i think it was well I, I we saw it it today choice. for the bowl game chance allen out for a curfew violation in a bowl game so i think that they're sending a message that they're serious about conduct and it's kind of like that I, I don't know if i believe it in this instance but the giuliani theory when he was the mayor of new york about stopping small crimes you know graffiti all that stuff when they cracked down on that they claimed that murder would actually decrease the guys at free economics had some interesting theories about that but but the mentality is the same i think that you police the small things this is a program of integrity and character and those things come first and you put that above winning, I think they made a very visible sign that that's the case here, and hopefully it doesn't come to bite them in this game. I don't know how much they're missing Chance Allen. They're up a little bit right now. Well, I'll continue to monitor that from the TV <laughs> behind your head there, but uh, but so that's, that's an interesting sign to me. I was initially discouraged when I saw that, and I was like, well, you know, good on them. I, I think and it's a senior leader. Sure, and to me, it's more valuable to have a program that you know is not hurting other people, right? There are so many athletic programs around the country where there are accusations of uh, domestic abuse, of rape, all these kinds of things that are so poorly policed so if that's what it takes to maintain uh, you know, a strict ship or what have you, I guess I'm all for it because that, that's more important to me even than winning football games. Well, I think that's a natural segue to Oklahoma and Joe Mixon. Sure. Obviously, Friday afternoon, uh, News OK released the video of Joe Mixon uh, just flat out assaulting. And Mixon a, a himself authorized the release of the video, did he not? He had to because yeah. there, there was a lawsuit. Yes. Yeah, there was, there was a lawsuit filed, so he had to authorize release. But uh, if you haven't seen the tape, it's, it's, it's very graphic. And, uh, you know, just to play out the situation, uh, you can't hear any audio. Uh, the woman shoves him, and then uh, Mixon kind of, I don't know, flinches to make it seem like he's going to punch or something like that. Yeah, he like stunts that. at him, yeah. I think is what they call it. Yeah, and then, and then she slaps him pretty hard on the right side. And at that point... Mixon is clearly a Division One athlete. He's, you know, a very dynamic player on the football field. He could have just pushed her away. He could have held her. But instead, he uses his right hand, completely knocks her out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an alarming and appalling escalation of force. Um, you know, Jenny Dalcreech, who we've had on the show before, we're big fans of hers, uh, she kind of wrote a, a think piece, I guess you could, I don't know if it's a think piece, it's a feature, right. uh, about uh, about this Joe Mixon video and about the violence that women face and so forth. And she said that what she's encountered are people defending Mixon, are people standing up for him, saying that the, the girl, I forget her name, Amelia, I believe, um, Molitor, I think is yeah, the, I, I, it sounds like about that. right. <clears throat> I, her name's not even important, but people saying that she uh, she caused it, it's her fault, and defending. I got to say, I'm on Twitter too, and through the Cypher Sports account that I manage, I follow like I don't know, twelve thousand people. It's it's insane. So I see a lot of tweets. It's a pretty interesting cross section of the sports world. I did not see that when the video dropped. When the video dropped, the comment that I saw consistently was, "Wow, this is if anything ten times worse than I thought it was going to be." I didn't see people uh, saying those things about Joe Mixon was justified. This is not a big deal. Anything like 
like that. Well, so it, it was OU fans saying that. Maybe people, I don't, people I don't that were trying a lot to, of them. But it's the same thing you have at every single college situation. I mean, Baylor people are still you know claiming Art Bryles is innocent. I mean, we saw that at the TCU game this year with uh, the, the 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 CAB flag at the fifty yard line above a suite. And yeah, it, it, to me, it putting winning above all is ridiculous. I mean, if Joe Mixon was a walk on kicker, would he still be on the team? She would have whooped his ass. We've been a walk on kicker, <laughs> frankly. But uh, that's probably accurate. Yeah, pro- probably accurate. But my point in this is that if you go looking for the reaction that you want to target, you can find it. If I went looking for people defending Joe Mixon, I could have found it just by kind of letting the tweets flow in. What I saw was uh, righteous indignation, outrage, kind of the things that I would expect to find. People saying this is worse. And I got to be honest. It really wasn't worse than I thought it was. It, in my mind, exactly matched the descriptions I had heard. Now, there's some comments about what she may have said, spitting on him, which I didn't see occur. So I think there's a lot of um, falsehoods flowing out of Mixon's camp, which if you're in that situation, you're self-interested, that's what you're going to do. I get that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think, I don't know. What, what tangible difference do you think the video makes? Because all of a sudden, it people doesn't are make more upright. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, I think hitting a woman knowing that her, her jaw was broken in four different places that should be enough to be outraged. And we had Lindsay Schnell from Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. on the podcast uh, January 7th, I believe. And, uh, you know, she wrote about the Joe Mixon situation at the Orange Bowl because that was the first time that he had media availability. Mm-hmm. And there were specific questions you cannot ask him about the incident. And, of course, you know, Lindsay, doing her job as a journalist, asked questions. Mm-hmm. And she was attacked on Twitter, on social media, for standing up for the right thing, you know, wanting answers, wanting transparency. The thing that bothers me about the situation is seeing the video shouldn't impact how you think of the situation. I mean, it's clear. But it absolutely does. Well, because when you visualize it, you see the damage that was done. But I I think looking at the records of seeing a broken jaw in four different places, that should be enough. The thing that really bothers me in this situation is it took two years for the video to come out. And it came out at his behest. He was told by NFL scouts, hey, this is going to hurt your draft stock. Huh? You have to get in front of it. Like, exactly right. right. Like you got a bowl game coming up. This could definitely derail all the coverage for that. You've got potentially the draft coming up. You want to have this hurt your stock as little as possible. He made a calculated, self-interested decision to release the video when he did, which is really appalling to me. And I'm actually I got the my computer open. I'm watching the video right now. Here's what gets me is just the way he walks away so immediately and so calmly after that, kind of a glance over his right shoulder as he's on his way out. He knows exactly what he's done. He doesn't stick around to take accountability for what he's done. He wants to get away from it as quickly as possible. It just shows a remarkable lack of foresight, remarkable lack of self-control. Um, I think even the escalation of force, as you mentioned, she shoved him a little bit. I've been shoved a lot in my life because I'm sort of a dick, and, and I get that reaction from people a lot. I, I've never heard that before. <laughs> Have you never heard that before? <laughs> even after going to high school with me, I know you heard that before. And so I've been shoved a fair amount. I've shoved back a fair amount. Uh, there is a moment, I guess, where you just kind of get upset or angry or what have you, but it's really not that difficult to gain some control over the situation, to go, okay, what are the consequences of this going to be? And he clearly demonstrates none of that. So if I were an NFL team, um, even even without the video, I would have been very, very uh, wary. Uh, well, especially with Ray Rice. A few years ago, once sure. that video came out, he was he hasn't played down in the NFL since then. Yeah, you can't get any value from this. Even if you are a monster, an amoral monster, I know a lot of people are, just in a capitalist society where money is the object, that's going to be the way things turn out a lot of the time. But even if you're only self-interested, uh, you still can't get any value out of guys that are are uh, so poorly reputed and so reviled. You know, like you mentioned, Ray Rice, done for. Because if he had set foot on the football field again, 
oh my god, the outcry would have been insane. There would have been actual dollars and cents that the NFL would have lost. Right. And that's that's ultimately the difference here. So I I can't imagine what NFL team looks at the video, looks at his record, looks at the smug comments he made about you know uh, uh, dedicating the season to his haters. Uh, you know about coming back stronger about this. You I'll, know, I'll tell you what though, I, I I do think that this whole incident has at least made Ray Rice a better person because he's realized that he had the one thing that he cared about most, and that's multi million dollar contract in the NFL taken away from him. There have been other teams that have had running back issues. The Texans last year, for example, mm. Arian Foster, they're in a playoff hunt. He goes down. Alfred Blue is not you know, necessarily that reliable every down back. Texans and Bob McNair could have called him. Nobody wants to touch him. But one thing that I do respect is he is going around and you know telling high school and college kids now, look, I screwed up. It impacted my life. Don't do what I did. And I think he... Do you think he's sincere? I, I think, yeah. I mean, I when, when you have a multi-million dollar contract taken away, I mean, he knows he's never going to play NFL again. I mean, his life is completely different, and that's that's his own fault. It's he a has, career move. He's pivoting to a domestic violence advocate, or, or actually, I think you not can, an advocate, I, I, speaking out against, but... I think you can I think you can have reform. I mean... Sure, I just don't see it. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that maybe... He has learned his lesson. I mean, that's a hard lesson to learn, especially when multi-million dollars are thrown out there. But my question is, for Oklahoma, President David Boren, Bob Stoops, Moron. and Athletic Director Joe Castellone, they, like they saw this video two years ago. Yeah. And he was, quote-unquote, suspended from the football team. Redshirted. Redshirting. They saw the video two years ago. He came back because he's a five-star player, and you look at his stats this year. And here's what you, here's what you could do. I'll let you get the stats in a second. You could look at it and go, hey, she provoked him. You can twist this in your mind into being any narrative you have. If you have a certain preconceived notion about domestic violence in the situation or about the player and his character, you can let that influence the way you view this video. I think. Yeah, and, and let's, let's get into the stats real quick. Joe Mixon this year, he rushed for 1,183 yards in the regular season for seven yards per carry. That's just insane. Not against U of H, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, he scored eight times this year on the ground. Uh, he's also a dynamic receiver out of the backfield. He had 32 receptions for 449 yards, and he was that was good enough for second on the team. And he also added five receiving touchdowns. But mm-hmm. I think OU has a cultural problem. Sure. D.D. <laughs> Westbrook, Heisman finalist. Mm-hmm. It was just uncovered the week before the Heisman Trophy ceremony that he had two domestic violence issues in his past. What did Bob Stoops say? Uh, you know, I'm not responsible for the background check. No, as a head football coach, you are responsible for the background check. Here's another comment. Uh, we've spoken about Baylor plenty of times on the mm-hmm. podcast. But if you go back this summer, OU President David Boren said that, quote, I hope they, as in Baylor, get things figured out down there. To me, that's a hypocritical statement. When you allow somebody like Joe Mixon and D.D. Westbrook to be on your team, and then you have other domestic violence. I mean, you look at Doyle Green Beckham, who mm-hmm. shoved his girlfriend down a staircase at Missouri, was kicked off, but he's a first-round NFL wide receiver talent. Yeah. I mean, granted, he never played it down because he was redshirting that year. When you bring those kind of guys onto your team with a known history of domestic violence, and you're making comments like that towards other institutions, something's not adding up. Sure, and I think it's just the way that we do not take violence against women very seriously. Certainly not as seriously as uh, as I think most women and, and the most vocal women in the media think that we should. And I agree. I mean, it is a problem. Uh, people... I don't know why they're willing to make excuses for Mixon. I don't know why they're willing to make excuses for other abusers. Um, I, I don't know 
People always talk about, hey, somebody deserves a second chance. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think when you're representing a university, you send a very visible signal to the female students, or really to all students, but particularly to the women that are students there, saying, hey, we don't really care that much about violence against women because this guy did this, and we only not only allowed him to play, gave him a very key role. He was kind of, in some ways, one of the faces of the program this season. Here's another thing. Brenda Tracy, who has been a you know very outspoken advocate against domestic violence and you know rape culture that is happening in college athletics. If you don't know her, look her up on Google or uh, her Instagram account or not Instagram, uh, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't even know if she has an Instagram account. She probably does. <laughs> but uh, when you look at Joe Castellone and Brenda Tracy, uh, because of Tracy's efforts, the NCAA has directed the leaders of Division One, Two, II, and Three to develop legislation regarding violence against women. Tracy and Castellone are part of the NCAA's ad hoc committee studying the issue. How can you have a guy like Castellone on that board when he refuses to take action against his own players? That's hypocritical to me. And is there sort is there some sort of consequence that is going to happen to Bob Stoops, Boren, or Castellone? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, is it because they're Oklahoma? Because we I, see this stuff happening so. in the SEC as well. Blue chip program, quote unquote, blue chip program. Um, you're going to see the the train just keep on rolling. I mean, whoever, whatever heads have to roll will, and the program will ultimately come out not unscathed in terms of reputation and whatnot, but virtually unchanged. Yeah, to me that's really unfortunate, and I, I do appreciate, uh, you know, Jenny Dial, for example, writing her article, you know, explaining the situation. I think she has a, a good perspective on it, especially because she is uh, an Oklahoma grad. Mm-hmm. I think she has the right perspective. Uh, Lindsay Schnell. Uh, you know, she retweeted our uh, podcast from January 7th. I mean, <laughs> she's been very, very outspoken on this issue. And I, right. I, I think that those are, I think we do need to see change. And, you know, I will say that in, in the, the social media culture, hopefully it can spark change. Because the Baylor situation, I, I think that if, if that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago without social media, I think our browse would still be the head coach. Yep. I think that, uh, you know, this wouldn't be an issue. Right now with Joe Mix, I mean, it is an issue, but it wouldn't be an issue if it wasn't for social media. Because social it would media already be done it. if it weren't for the video coming out. We talked about right. this, like you mentioned, Jay. Not another word about this. It probably would have come up a little bit as he was being considered for the but NFL he's quote draft. unquote learned his lesson, right? Exactly. Yeah. And do you think that he has? I would argue no. that from his tweeting history, no. And judging from the things he said at the beginning, he absolutely did not. He felt like he was the victim here. And you know what's funny is he's probably going to be suspended for the Sugar Bowl. Or he'll make some statement saying that, you know, he's declaring for the NFL draft and he wants to maintain his health. And since Oklahoma isn't in the college football playoff, he thinks it's in his best You don't think Mixon's going to play? I don't think Mixon's going to play. And and I think that Oklahoma's going to get a lot of credit for making the right decision. But that's not the right decision. That's a cop-out. Yeah. If, If Oklahoma really was making the right decision, he would be off the program. I mean, look at Florida State, for example. Mm. Uh, I can't remember the kid's name that just signed at FAU. But he was... High, he was a very talented quarterback prospect, potentially a guy that could replace Jameis Winston. He was kicked out of the program for punching a woman. DeAndre Johnson. DeAndre Johnson, that's it. High-profile player kicked off. Credit Jimbo Fisher for making that move. Bob Stoops, he needs to be held accountable, especially for allowing a guy like that to star on his team for two years. I, I just can't comprehend it. 
Yeah, I think when you have a certain amount of success over a certain amount of time and you have the sort of fervent believers in the program that, for instance, an OU has, there are also similar type of people in Texas and so forth and so on, there is just such a uh, degree of inaccountability in the sense that right. everybody be- puts the program first, even above the needs and wants and desires of, of the people that are being abused in this because case. Because it brings in millions of dollars for yeah. the athletic department. And, and there's even an intangible uh, benefit just from, you know, like school spirit. And I'm sitting here watching my Cougars. I'm getting fired up as they make a big defensive play there. You know, I don't have anything to do with those kids. I graduated years ago. Uh, there's no tangible connection between me and them. But somehow I kind of adopt them as my own and feel a part of that. Right. And I think that, um, you know, I, I hope that I would be an advocate uh, for kicking someone off the team. If somebody from the University of Houston did something like this, I hope that I would be one of the loudest people clamoring for their release and suspension and you know expulsion, what have you, and for you know all legal punishment that is that is um, permissible. But but I wonder, I wonder if I might you know walk that back and kind of be like, well, let's give the kid another chance because he's one of my kids, you know. Yeah, it's a difficult situation, especially when you have the fandom aspect of it. But at the end of the day, don't hit women. What I mean, would what would genuine remorse look like? Because I would say that looking at uh, Joe Mixon, I would say I do not see a hint of it what would that look like to you i think he needs to go volunteer at like domestic violence shelter he needs to make donations i mean i i I think it's it's impossible to tell the content of somebody's heart i I think that you can go through all these motions but what he's done on twitter you know his calculated statements that he's made to the press his apologies those are all calculated moves by pr firms and he's got so many people that have a vested interest in seeing him successful and do well just because there's so much money wrapped up in seeing that he becomes an nfl prospect and successful nfl player that he's just got this he's insulated he's got this ring of people around him that want nothing bad to happen to him regardless of what he may or may not have done and there's just no accountability i don't know if there's a solution with this much money in college athletics uh, and this much riding upon success or failure, I don't know if that ever changes, if we ever get to a place that's better without just a rigorous uh, advocacy for for women's rights and and domestic violence. I think there is one thing that could make change actually happen, and that's if Bob Stoops loses his job. Because I think if you have two Big 12 coaches, Art Bryles, Mm. who is arguably one of the greatest offensive minds in college football, and then Bob Stoops, big game Bob, who has won, what, 10 Big 12 championships at Oklahoma, if you fire him, that's an eye opener. That tells that sends a message to head coaches everywhere that you are accountable for your players' actions. If they screw up, you have to make the right decision. And the right decision is about building men of character, not winning football games. Yeah. If only. I mean, that'd be nice, right? <laughs> I'd be love nice. hearing you but say I, it. I, I think that I think that's the best solution. I mean, I d I don't think Oklahoma's gonna fire Bob Stewart. Absolutely not. But if they did, it would send a powerful, powerful message. Hey, I think it's what they should do, probably. But, but it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No. Yeah, we could sit here and dream about it all day long, but it's not going to be the <laughs> result for sure. But, you know, kind of pivoting off to a different topic, uh, the NBA, you're a huge fan. Uh, the Houston Rockets right now are huge. absolutely blowing things up on the hardwood right now. They are just playing out of their mind. Uh, James Harden playing out of his mind. But uh, the big news this week in the NBA was the uh, collective bargaining agreement that was agreed to. And uh, to me, it wasn't as big of a a news story as we saw a few years ago, obviously because of the lockout situation. But uh, Kevin, you know, some of the big ticket items in there, uh, you know, is there's not going to be a basketball related income split. That won't change. Uh, teams it's, gonna, it's actually, which I was surprised about because as you recall in the last lockout in 2011, we that had was a, a huge season, point of contingency. And the players uh, absolutely got taken out behind the shed. They went from 57% of basketball related income to 50. Right. Which, you know, 50-50, but you think about ownership versus labor, how much the players do versus how much the owners do. Really, Owners uh, basically either screw up or do virtually nothing. Put the right people in place and kind of have a hands-off approach. Except Mark Cuban. 
Uh, yeah, I like Mark Cuban's role or whatever, but I don't think that even he would argue. Well, no, he probably would. And knowing Cuban, <laughs> he'd argue he has a lot to do with the team's success. But, um, but he also gives credit where credit's due. But I'm still surprised that the uh, uh, NBA PA was not able to push that figure up from 50 to 51, 52, kind of move back in that direction of giving more of the share to the players. I think it's just because there's so much money right now. A well, nine the year, salary 20- cap is going to increase as well. Yeah, and there still is a salary cap, which is another thing the NBA PA was fighting. Um, <laughs> Michelle Roberts called it un-American, <laughs> which I think it's an interesting argument to bring up when something's un-American. I, I would never make that argument i don't really understand that argument but it carries a lot of weight in some circles yeah and and some of the other things that happened uh with the cba is teams can extend two veteran players for six years uh there is now um you know rookie pay scales increasing uh roster increases from 13 to 14 slots uh two of the big ticket items for me we're the one and done rule for the uh, for college basketball. That is still going to stay in place. So you're going to have uh, high profile high school athletes still have to go to you know Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, whatever for one year. And the next one is the preseason is actually going to be shortened. Yes. And so the season is going to start a week earlier. So you're not going to have as many back to back games. So all the fans out in Memphis this past week complaining about LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love not playing in a game. You're not going to see that as much because there aren't going to be as many back-to-backs. I don't think that actually it's going to make that much of a difference. That's what people are saying. This is a victory for. We'll see fewer players resting. I think uh, when the Cavs went to play Memphis, uh, they left LeBron at home and Kyrie as well. Maybe or was it Kevin Love? I can't remember who said. No, all three. All, all three, three were set out. Okay. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't even fly. Yeah. So I mean, obviously that's that's what caused this out, uproar or outrage. Um, I actually don't know that it's going to change that much. You look at those uh, top tier players like LeBron, and I think a lot of the other players around the league kind of take um, not marching orders, but kind of take some philosophical inspiration from LeBron saying like, look at the way this guy takes care of his body and the way he does it is by saying, hey, I'm going to limit my minutes beyond what what I would have played, you know, like the early aughts. Um, Sports science is much better. I'm also not going to play every game. It's not just the back-to-backs, I think. I honestly think that as we see this, uh, the schedule is lengthened to accommodate the same number, 82 of games. Um, I think we'll still continue to see the top-tier players sit out a certain number of games to ensure that they are not worn down by this progressive fatigue that we're starting to learn more and more about. So I don't know... I like the idea of having fewer back-to-backs, of completely eliminating those four games and five nights things. Which, yeah, that's um, ridiculous. Yeah, it is pretty bad. So that's great. I think that'll prevent some injuries, too. It'll be great for the league. I don't know if it's going to have the effect on players resting that people think it will. But um, you kind of touched on it, the one-and-done rule. And I will say that a, a good compromise, what is it they say, leaves everyone unhappy? Everyone's unhappy with the one-and-done rule. Colleges don't like it. The NBA doesn't really like it. I think uh, the Players Association obviously didn't like it. They wanted to change it. They were looking for uh, a zero-and-two rule, and I've read that that's like the MLB. I don't. I don't what is yeah. the role in the MLB? So uh, that to me, I think is the best model. So the way Major of course because yeah. it's MLB. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just think it's the it, it makes the most sense because right. obviously Major League Baseball is different from every other sports league because they have a true minor league system. So you're going to have a guy that's drafted number number one overall. It might take him four years to get to the big leagues. College, NFL, hockey. He's starting. Yeah, like number one overall pick. He's starting on day one. Uh, so you know, in in high school baseball, if you have if you're like a you know first round draft pick. You have the option. It's all you know, segmented out by how much you can sign for. So you might have a guy sign for seven million dollars, and that's the max that you can get. Whereas you have these absurd salaries in NBA uh, rookie scale uh, NFL. But in high school, if you decide to leave, you have the ability to sign a major league contract or a minor league contract after your senior year of high school. Then after that, you can't go into the draft. Like if you decide to go to college and you have a breakout freshman year. You can't go into the draft until after your junior season or if you turn 21. So that's three years? It's three years. Okay. Now, there is one exception, 
And that's if you go to the junior college route. Gotcha. So if, if you're a high-profile baseball player, and this happens a lot. And that's I why mean, we see that happen. Yeah, I mean, you see uh, San Jacinto uh, Junior College, which mm-hmm. is not far from us. They they put out a lot of Major League Baseball talent. Uh, we should talk to them. Man. Yeah, and Andy Pettit was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Roger Clemens played there as well. Oh, did he? Uh, Wayne Graham was once the head coach yeah. at San Jack, and uh, they put out so much talent, but what happens is, is if you have a guy that's a first-round pick and he does not get the contract that he wants, he can go to a junior college, and then he's eligible for the draft the following year. Gotcha. But I think that's the best model, and I think if you were to do something like... Uh, you know, you, you can jump to the NBA after your high school year. And if you go to college, you have to stay for two, three years. I think that's the best for both worlds, because I think if you have a guy that has two years of college experience, three years of college experience, he's going to be more developed. And that's better for the college game. It's better for the NBA to have more developed guys rather than seeing somebody struggle the rookie year. I mean, granted, there are always exceptions to the rule. I mean, you have some guys that tear it up their rookie years. LeBron. But yeah, LeBron, for example. Uh, but he was just a freak. I mean, he could have come out after a sophomore year of high probably, school. And I, honestly, probably so. But. I think it's a good model. I, I, I think that would help the college game a lot. And I think it would definitely help the NBA in terms of developing prospects. Well, here, here's my here's my issue is that if you're talking about, let's say, player X coming out of high school, is he going to develop more in two years of playing college ball or two years of competing at the highest level in the NBA? Well, it's, it's a depend- loaded question. There's it, obviously one right it, answer it de- the way I asked it. It depends where he goes. If he goes to Duke, you know, playing under Coach K, I mean, that's he coaches Team USA basketball. I think that's a great way to develop. But if you're a guy sitting on the bench, it, it, you know, if you don't have all of the tools, you know, if you're a lottery pick, you're a first round pick and you don't have all the tools, I mean, you, you're going back and forth between the D-League. Is that really going to develop you? Well, interestingly enough, there is a development with the D-League as well. Um, basically, and I love this, too. This is this is a lot of people are not talking about this, but the two-way contract is going to make a difference. Yeah, it, it was actually on my notes yeah. as this is my favorite part about the CBA. Your face <laughs> lit up, honestly, when you had that segue, which is a brilliant segue, by the way. Credit to you for the way you did that there. But, um, yeah, I am, I am interested here. First of all, it says currently top-rated D-League players make $26,000 with the lower-tier guys netting $19,000. Mean, that's pittance. insane. That, 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 that's why you see a lot of guys in college, if they don't make an NBA roster, they go to Europe because they can make six of figures. Of course. Yeah, it's not often that I look at um, a professional sports player and go, I make more than they do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I mean, really not often. And obviously that's a problem. So here you go. D-League guys. Uh, so basically players in that situation you're talking about, maybe a guy who has had a single year of college was a really standout performer, but maybe isn't as physically developed as they'd like, rather than him having to go back to college for another year, going overseas for a year to develop his talents there and maybe disappearing entirely the way some players do. You're now talking about guys that may get like somewhere to the fifty dollars to $75,000 range and be on a two-way contract basically can be moved up from the D-League to play on the actual, I'll call it the varsity roster. So I love this because... I like that term. I know. <laughs> I wish I'd come up with it, but uh, teams in high schools everywhere use it. But um, <clears throat> if you if you look there, I think... Um, I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, you mentioned MLB. I, one thing that's cool about MLB, and I, it doesn't inspire me to watch it at all, but is the minor league system. Like, in theory, that's cool to read about. And we've had, um, uh, is it Jimmy Price from Astros Future? Right. Love that guy. Love the work he does. I actually follow his work without ever watching baseball. So it's like this <laughs> weird theoretical. It's like reading George R.R. R. Martin books for me. Well, I, I, I like it because you know about the college, or you know about the prospects in the Astros system. You just never see them play. Yeah, exactly right. So I would like to see the NBA have more of a dedicated development league, which is the title of the league. 
league. You know, I, I think that you know you have a real minor league system. The players are still associated with the programs that drafted them or the organizations that drafted them, and you begin to see higher level of play in the D league, which is just better for basketball fans too. I, I'm not really motivated right now to go out and see a D league game because you look at the structure of it. Those guys are really just desperate to get out of there. I've heard from a lot of D league coaches that we just can't coach a real team because every player comes to them and says, "Coach, I got to get my numbers. I got to get out of here and get a job. I'm not making enough to support myself, much less my family." Uh, they have a real incentive to do that. It's hard to coach them as teams. So I think this is one small step uh, in a grander scale or scheme to make the D-League more competitive, more valuable, a better place to nurture young talent. And I think ultimately, probably the model is the MLB minor league system. I would love to see the D-League kind of grow uh, into that echelon of of, uh, value. Yeah, and you look at the Rockets, for example, the, uh, the, the what is it, the Vipers? That's, Rio Grande. Yeah, Rio Grande Vipers. What I like about the Rockets is they use that as a way to test new offensive schemes. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, really so, easy. you know, Daryl Moore, a few years ago, I, I believe it was, a, uh, you know, the Rio Grande uh, Vipers, they were, you know, the Rockets this year, they're shooting three-pointers at an unbelievable clip. Yeah, not an and unbelievable Grand, percentage, well, but an unbelievable yeah, clip. Yeah. <laughs> and Rio Grande, that's pretty much all they did. Yeah, I and know. they were just testing a new system. And I Decker like, actually played there. That's where he honed some of his three point yeah, shooting skills. He was already a shooter, but yeah, and, and I love that that you can test your, you know, your your system and your approach, uh, you know, with the D League. And I think that increasing the scal- the salaries is going to say, all right, you know, some of these players that might be fringe NBA players, and especially with the roster expanding from 13 to 14, Mm -hmm. you know, they can look at it and say, I can play here for a year or two and still make a decent living without having to leave my family, my friends, my network, and go to Europe or go to China or go to Russia, you know, to make 150, 200K a year playing basketball and essentially live in isolation. So I, I think it's a good step for the NBA. Yeah, and there is value to staying home in this country and particularly being associated with a team that you hopefully will play for. You can at be the scouted level. a lot easier. Exactly. I mean, you can be taken off of a D League team by you know somebody sending a scout. It's it's a lot easier to scout a team in the Rio Grande Valley than it is to go to Siberia mm-hmm. and scout somebody. I mean, you know, granted the interwebs have kind of changed things now, so you can kind of do a little bit of scouting and film work, uh, you know, by looking on YouTube, getting game film. But it's 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 a lot better when you can just make a short drive yeah. to go see someone play. And you know, I think it's great. I think it's. Uh, a huge move for the NBA and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how it benefits the competitiveness and the competitive balance in the league moving forward. I think what it does is it makes the draft even more valuable. The draft was right. already the most valuable tool, particularly, I mean, obviously you see a lot of big marquee guys sign a free agency. The numbers are also astronomical now. And you see a lot of big swings and misses too. I think of like Darren Williams very recently, you know. Royce White? Sure. <laughs> I don't know if he wasn't, he wasn't as big or high profile, but he was, he was a what, 15 or 16th overall pick. I mean, right. he, his talent was ridiculous, but he just had the anxiety issues. Yeah, sure. And, and, and all the best to him. I actually always liked him. I thought he was intelligent and interesting to listen to, and I listened to he a lot of stuff. He was a phenomenal player at, at yeah. Iowa State. Absolutely. Phenomenal. So sad to miss out on him, but but I think it, it, the balance of power shifting even more to the teams that draft really well, which makes me fearful because the Spurs, I think, probably draft as well as anybody in the league, and they're already <laughs> you, one of the top-shelf teams. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Popovich is also a great developer of talent. Yeah. And that's, that's a key to it as well. So I think player development, drafting are going to become even more important, even more heavily weighted in this new CBA, which should take us to, I think, opt-outs in 2020. And I would not be surprised if the NBA PA fights for a larger share of basketball-related uh, revenue at that point. Especially with the increased salaries. I mean, but here's the thing. With the increased salaries, I mean, we've seen so much of late with you know, TV contracts. TV contracts have been going through the roof. That's why you see some of these ridiculous salaries in the NFL, college, uh, not college baseball. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have salaries in college sports. Oh, that's what you think. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh, I guess you do at Alabama, yeah, like yeah. Oklahoma. But <laughs> you, it's probably taking a pay cut to go to the pro leagues in some <laughs> cases. But uh, you know, that's why you see the ridiculous salaries with the MLB, NBA, uh, you know, even hockey and NFL is because of those massive, massive TV rights contracts. And I'm kind of curious: Are we going to see these contracts become so astronomical? When we have networks like ESPN struggling, losing 500,000 subscribers a month, are they going to, is ESPN going to be able to pay for these type of TV rights, which ultimately translates to revenue for the NBA, salaries for the players? Is that going to change in five or ten years? Yeah, I think it will change. I think we're seeing it change. We've talked about ESPN and its struggles before. I will, for just a little bit of context, Kevin O'Connor, who I follow, you should follow him as well, NBA guy, tweeted out that the average NBA salary in 2017 expected to be $8.5 million. Change change. Well, by 2020, $10 million, which is pretty That's healthy. Huge. It is huge. And by comparison, 2016 MLB average was, you want to guess? 4.5. Jesus, it's 4.4. That's <laughs> like Rain Man. That's I, I, swear I, did not, <laughs> I swear I did not see that article. I just follow baseball that much. It's not even an article. It's a tweet. That's how I know. But in the NFL, you want to guess that one? Let's see. Minimum contract is 450. Let's go with 2.5. Jeez, 2.1. That's that's really, really shockingly close. Good job there, Austin. So 2.1 for the NFL, 4.4 for MLB, 8.5 rising to 10 million in 2020. But it's, all, it's also a lot easier, I would say, to get to Major League Baseball and NFL than it is. I mean, it's, it's not easy to get to the pros in any sense. <laughs> but you have now 14 roster spots on an NBA team. And, you know, baseball, you have 25. Right. NFL, you have 53 plus your practice squad. So I think it's a more... It, you're having the t- the best of the best, the cream of the crop. And it's a lot easier, I think, to make that type of salary when you're not like, you know, a specialist that comes in and just faces left-handed hitters right. in the eighth inning. That's why I hate baseball. But that's why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so analytical. I love it. Yeah, that's really nice. I think it's more fun if you're like, if I were playing like an MLB game, like a video game, that'd be kind of fun to like I've got strategize. MLB the show. Do you want to do you We should fire totally up? fire that up right now. As soon as this U of H game is over, <laughs> we should fire that up and play because I would love to play that. But no, so I, I, I love... Everything that was different about this, I love. I do think that the players are doing themselves a disservice if in 2020 they don't fight for a larger share right. of the income because it's not the owners out there dribbling the ball and hitting the shots, for Christ's sake. You know, like just I think the players, I like the 57 number they had before. I wonder if they'll ever be able to push it no, back up to no where chance. that was. The owners aren't going to push. And, and the owners don't mind a work stoppage nearly as much as the players. We saw it in 2011. It was the players who, even with uh, sharing uh, resources amongst themselves to try to, you know, uh, maintain solidarity still struggled and needed that work stoppage to end even more which is why they uh they took a bath so bad and that and the leadership of the nba pa which was garbage what was his name billy i, ca- I couldn't even tell I you can't, I but can't now remember. now i mean you look at the two people representing the nba players you know from the league you've got chris paul and lebron james two guys that are savvy business people and i think that to me is a, why it's a little shocking that they didn't try to push for that extra one or two percentage points. Billy Hunter. Was Billy his Hunter. Name. Yeah, he's the one that hired all of his family and friends and so forth, which is an absolute monster. Interesting you bring up Chris Paul uh, and LeBron James, the president and vice president of the NBA PA. The over 36 rule. I saw that. Yeah, it yeah. is now the over 38 rule. So under the last CBA, teams got to make their offer, millions, Kevin. Well, they couldn't offer five year maximum contracts to players who would turn 36 years old at any point during the contract. I honestly forgot about this until this article came out reminding me about it. But that rule be modified from 36 to 38 do you know why because lebron and chris paul are about to turn 36 and 38 and want their multi-million dollar contract in the in the course of those contracts i'm not sure what their actual ages are but yes you're right that will affect them i think 38 keeps them under um under the under the cap there so it does benefit them directly which is kind of interesting but i think here's, so. here's those guys deal. are smart here's the deal i think it's absurd that somebody like lebron james 
can get a max contract that's at the same level as someone like Dwight Howard getting a max contract. I mean, I get the max and min contracts in the NBA, but I would love for a total free market to see. And, and I know we've discussed this on the podcast before, but to see what guys like LeBron, Chris Paul, uh, you know, Steph Curry, James Harden would get on the open market. I mean, LeBron, what makes what? What is it? 30, 35 million this year? Yeah, he, he's he's probably worth. 85 90 100 million for the Cavs easy yeah and, and I, that's, I, that's an absurd number but when you look at his is ROI it, I mean I don't think that the businesses around Quicken Loans Arena I don't think the people <laughs> there that benefit from the the influx of people for those games would actually say that it's that outrageous honestly because he has it's been measured before I think Forbes did an article about it a couple years ago when he went back right uh, the impact he has economically on that region which is a pretty depressed region is phenomenal sadly he doesn't have much of a political impact on them because he encouraged everyone to vote for Hillary and nobody did they, got, they weren't as grateful after he brought home the championship for them but um, but yeah interesting LeBron James Chris I, I Paul, don't know though do you do you even look to your sports figures for you know, your sports heroes for political advice because one of the guys that I think was one of the greatest pitchers in my generation was Kurt Schilling. Good God. I certainly do not look for, for him for political advice. I mean, well, he's also a moron, too. I don't think LeBron James is <laughs> he's a moron. He's running for Senate. Yeah, I know. That's He'll crazy. fit right in. <laughs> no, but LeBron James is, he has crafted himself as a bit of an activist. Um, you know, the, the many uh, protests the that the SB Cavaliers Awards. have done. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. So a lot of those. So I don't think that I don't just take blindly take advice from from uh, sports figures. But that's a guy who actually is kind of involved. That's his finger on the pulse. I think he wants to craft a legacy for himself that transcends his achievements in the field of sport. Kind of like a Muhammad Ali, for instance. He's, he's a billion dollar brand. Sure. I mean, LeBron. And I think when he speaks, people listen. Yeah. Well, not the people of Cleveland, evidently, but I mean, that's how much they hated Hillary, I but, guess. But I mean, you also look at, yeah, that, that's that's a fact. But John Kasich, who was the uh, beloved Republican governor for the state of Ohio, oh. uh, you know, it, it's more of a it's more of a middle middle America state that felt that they were left behind by the Democratic Party. And I think part of that this week, um, I believe it was Politico came out with a story saying that Hillary Clinton's camp did not really look at the polls and the people within the states. I, this article is specifically speaking about Michigan. were wanting more on the ground campaigns. Yeah. And, you know, the national office was like, no, we got this in the bag. So I think it was just more of Hillary not understanding how the dumb Belt. the people in the middle of this country are. I didn't understand it myself until the election was <laughs> over. Anyways, <laughs> kind of moving on, uh, you know, CBA, uh, that was, I guess, agreed to verbally this week, and it'll officially be ratified They've extended the deadline, yeah, to January. Yeah, January 17th, yeah, I believe I that's right. right. So we'll hear back yeah. more about that. But it seems like they're all agreed. It's just basically just a formality for everybody to right. sign off on it. And on some exciting stuff there. So, I mean, I love the NBA. I love, for sure, that there's not going to be a work stoppage so I can continue watching it. And uh, it's exciting. I mean, there's just so much success and money pouring in that I think nobody wanted to uh, upset that ship and just wanted to keep on sailing on. Yeah, one of the most beloved figures in the NBA is Craig Sager, and uh, he unfortunately passed away after a, a, a heroic battle with cancer at the age of 65. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it was kind of refreshing to hear, um, I believe, Steve Kerr at the Golden State game, I believe, uh, you know, took the microphone and instead of asking for a moment of silence and memory of Craig Sager, he asked for a moment of joy. And the entire place just went nuts. And uh, we'll try to play that audio uh, if we can find it here in just a few moments. But he had a lasting impact in terms of his charisma, uh, his colorful attitude, I guess, on the you know the sidelines. I will always remember him going back and forth with Craig Popovich. And if Craig Popovich is a guy that does not like to do interviews. I mean, no. No. He, he, he is the opposite of Kevin Cook. You put a microphone in front of Kevin Cook, Kevin will eat it up. <laughs> I heard my name. I wasn't even yeah. listening to you. What did you say about me? 
I was comparing you to Popovich in yeah. the sense that as much as you like to be in front of a microphone, he hates it that much. Popovich is the opposite. But Craig Sager passed away at the age you know, of 65. I disagree with you, though. I don't think that Pop hates being in front of a, a camera He doesn't or like microphone. dumb questions. He's exactly right. He doesn't like the forced... I'm actually... I have an, uh, one up here of Sager talking to Popovich yeah. after yeah. a couple of years. And he doesn't like that um, forced, inane nonsense that happens between quarters yeah, where so you don't get to anything of substance. Popovich loves talking about political issues, issues of discipline, issues of America's role in foreign relations. If you ask him about that stuff, he could probably talk for hours, but you're not going to ask him about that. You know, wearing a crazy suit at a basketball game. Yeah, coach, why are you up 65, 61 right now? Right. How do you feel about the game right now? Uh-huh. What do you think he's going to say? Yeah, shut up or, or stop asking me questions. Usually, is what he says to people. Well, or we what do you by, think? Yeah, well, we outscored him by four points. We need to do a better job. Right. That, that, that's a pop <laughs> answer. But Craig Sager uh, was notorious for you know doing interviews with Popovich, and uh, one of my favorite moments was last year when Craig Sager was battling cancer here. I believe he was at MD Anderson Cancer Center here in Houston, and the Spurs had a playoff game, and his son was actually able to do uh, you know the sideline interviews with Popovich, and uh, the basketball world has definitely lost an icon, and uh, Kevin. And you're a huge basketball guy. You watch way more NBA than I do. I mostly stick to root sports. You've got the NBA League pass. And, sure do. Uh, what are your thoughts on Craig Sager's passing? Uh, I guess that uh, I don't understand. Okay, I have to take it on faith. I did not ever meet Craig Sager. Everyone that met him seems to universally love him. I'm not sure what the big deal was exactly because he was fine at his job. His job was also fairly easy. People made a lot of the fact that he was doing chemotherapy, came into work. Again, not that difficult of a job, you know, going and asking a couple questions there. Not- I, think, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, yeah, sure, going and asking questions isn't the difficult part. It's traveling across the country, uh, you know, spending nights in hotels, and especially the fact that he did that while battling cancer. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of cancer patients, they're in the hospital, but he was like, he was like, no, I love my job. I want to be there. Uh, you know, I, I, I heard a story. Um, on Sports Radio 610 on the afternoon drive uh, with Sean Pendergast and Rich Lord and uh, Ted Johnson, who we've, you know, we've had Sean Pendergast on a few times, but they were speaking about the fact that uh, Craig Sager, I believe his wedding anniversary was the day before he passed away. And so he, he was a guy that, you know, knew that his time was limited, but he wanted to keep on fighting because Things like that were special to him. I will say he did give a speech when he was given the Jimmy V Award. Right. Uh, Jimmy V, a guy who just, a terrific guy that makes my skin crawl because of the uh, <laughs> the relationship with the University of Houston, obviously. But um, <clears throat> he said, uh, I will never give up. I will never give in. I will continue to keep fighting, sucking the marrow out of life as life sucks the marrow out of me. And I've heard that. That's powerful. It's also hilarious. I don't know if that was written for him. If he wrote that, it is really funny, and nobody laughed at that. I think they were taken with sort of the uh, somber uh, attitude or, or nature of the moment or whatever. But that's a pretty hilarious uh, leukemia joke. <laughs> like it's, I, I, I don't I, think he got credit for that joke as much as I I, I, I don't know that he intended. I think you might have been that one audience. <laughs> no, I think he absolutely intended it. I don't think yeah. he got the laugh it deserved. So I, I, I posthumously apologize to Craig Sager for everybody not laughing at that when it was really, really funny. But uh, yeah, a lot of people were inspired by the nature of that speech. I will, in not knowing the guy and not having a personal relationship with him, I will take it on faith that he did form those kind of relationships that people absolutely love and adore him and that he was valuable in a way. And I imagine it's and probably... He was a guy that was around the NBA for so long. And I think that's what helps because it's a lot different when you have like football sideline reporters that, you know, three or four years and they move on to something else like to an anchor position. He was a guy that loved what he did. I mean, and I wonder if he was suitable to something higher up on the chain or if he he just was in the well, probably could have been. But I wonder if he didn't know better, maybe. I mean, he had the perfect job. Yeah. Five million a year. Yeah, I'd do it. 
Sure, absolutely. I, do, I, I would d- never look back. I would do it for like half a million a year. I would do that for $80,000 a year. And I, I've even got like a obscenely ridiculous looking red sport coat yeah, in my I've closet. It. Yeah, it I, is I ugly. could wear that. Well, it's great to wear at Rockets games. Yeah. That's about it. And, and Christmas. But, uh, but anyways, uh, Craig Sager passing at the age of 65 and uh, quite the uh, the big week in sports. Uh, obviously, next week, we'll probably get into a little more college football as we get into the college football playoff semifinals, which are coming up yep. on New Year's Eve. Uh, I think Alabama, you just want to call it the Alabama Invitational. I think that would suffice. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, Christmas coming up this week. Uh, and if you need a last minute Christmas treat, you got to go to We Desserts, right? We Desserts, absolutely. People will be having events. I'm doing some stuff with family myself, and I'm not, I can't cook anything or produce anything of value myself, which is why I went into sports journalism. I don't have any real <laughs> talent or skills. But, um, but so if you are like me and are not talented or skilled in the kitchen, I almost said in the bedroom, which is a weird Freudian slip. No, in the kitchen, then you can go to We Desserts, which is at 3411 Kirby, and you can have them make you something that is just like absolutely not only professional grade, but made with love and care and, and will taste better than anything you've ever put in your mouth before. So, so we desserts thirty four eleven Kirby Drive. You can call them. They have a phone number. I don't have in front of me. I should have been more prepared. Uh, but they'll be happy to produce cakes, pies, you name it. They can do it. Absolutely, uh, we desserts. Check them out thirty four eleven. Tell them. Tell Penny and Jen that the guys of the Weekly Brew sent you by, and you'll get ten percent off of your order. Uh, it makes Christmases great. It makes New Year's great. Make sure to go to we desserts. But uh, you know, it's it, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, work with you this past year, Kevin. On uh, you know everything that we've done on the podcast. This is episode seventy three. Episode seventy five is coming up soon. I feel like that's just a huge monument for us on the podcast. But uh, if you want to continue to follow our work, you can check Kevin out on Twitter at k michael cook. You can check me mm-hmm. out at a stat. And you can also follow our podcast. So just search Weekly Brewcast. You can search for it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and I guess YouTube. We still haven't really posted much on there. But also don't subscribe. Even bother, yeah. Don't even bother. Just don't with worry YouTube. about YouTube. But yeah. you can also subscribe to the website, uh, weeklybrewcast.com. We actually had a lot of traffic on it this week, specifically around the Joe Mixon situation. But uh, what you should really do is go to your favorite national sports institution, whether it be USA Today or any of those uh, Sports Illustrated, and say, hey, this guy Kevin Cook is amazing. I listen to him all the time. You need to hire him. That's what you should do. So that's what I'm encouraging everyone to do this week. Lobby for jobs on my behalf. That's a pretty desperate ask. <laughs> is it? I is, thought is I that sold what it. Is that what you're asking? I Santa really thought Christmas? that I sold it. I didn't think it came off as desperate at all. I, I think it just hinted a little bit of desperation. <laughs> it sounded reasonable when I said it. You shouldn't have. You messed it up. Okay. All right. I just called. I, you know, I call it like I see it. So, uh, but anyways, uh, Kevin, it's been great this week. Uh, you know, chatting uh, the Joe Mixon situation, Major Apple White, as well as the NBA collective bargaining agreement, and Craig Sager. And uh, you know, if you want to make our Christmas special, if you want to make your Christmas get special, you know, we don't have like secret Santas or anything like that. We don't have stocking stuffers for the podcast. But there is one gift that you can give us that will just make us thrilled. Yeah, absolutely thrilled. Did you read the review last week? I didn't listen all the way to We did. We did. You did it without me? We did. That's like my thing. Well, the worst part is I think Jeremy read it. Oh, no. You let him do that? Go ahead and read it again because he's Blake is obviously he's he's our favorite listener for the second straight week. So do we know Blake personally? I do not. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I got to say, it really, really gets me hard to hear reviews from people I don't know personally. That is that is what gets me fired up for the holiday season, so we appreciate it. Blaker876 on December 8th wrote us, like the balance between current events and sports, great for college sports fans, which Hunter Atkins, we're missing him, by the way, a sexy bear, Hunter Atkins, our own little cuddly teddy bear, is out for the uh, holiday season at the moment. He'll be back, hopefully, at some point soon. Get him on again. He's but, got a great article uh, right now in Houston yeah, Chronicle talking about the, uh, the, the practice squad 
players, which we mentioned the practice squad in the NFL just a little bit earlier. Check it out. Best sports writing in town right now, I think, arguably, is what Hunter Atkins is producing. So go follow him on Twitter. Was it Hunter Atkins 35? That sounds right. He's not 35. Do you know what the deal is with that? Probably a baseball number. Oh, I bet you're That's right. My guess. He, yeah, he does strike me as kind of a baseball playing type. But he, he has more affection for, for basketball, it seems like. I mean, he plays on a, a baseball league yeah, here right. in Houston. He loves, what is it, the Mets? I think the Mets. Yeah, he's one of those he's, New York. He's, he's a New Yorker. It's not a, yeah, it must be Mets because it's not Yankees. Yeah, we'll ask know. him about it. I'm sure he's furious right now if he's listening. Hunter, you're listening right now. <laughs> Give us the text. Correct the record. Anyway, so Blake R876, favorite listener uh, for two weeks running now. I was aware of this review even when I was out last week. So uh, I'm just absolutely smitten with you. If you would like for me to be smitten with you as well, you can just go to iTunes, click ratings and reviews. It's very simple. If you're on your phone, click the little magnifying glass and search for our podcast first. Don't go to your subscribe podcast. And you can bring up the ratings and reviews tabs and leave us a nice little blurb with a five-star review. That's really helpful for us because it shows how much better and more popular we are than all the other Houston sports podcasts, some of which are great, some of which are not. So to help people decide, we need those reviews. Go do that for us, and we will be uh, super, super thrilled. Yeah, we are the voice of Houston oh, that's right. for Voices. a reason, and it's it's because of listeners like you that go and make iTunes reviews. I mean, we have a great following. We are very thankful for our following uh, this Christmas season. We hope that... I feel like I deserve it. Yeah, I man. I don't know. I don't know what that noise was, but uh, you know, uh, we definitely hope that every one of our listeners uh, enjoys this episode as you get ready to, uh, you know, if you're driving to go see family for uh, the Christmas holiday here. But uh, from our family to yours, and on behalf of my co-host Kevin Cook, Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week. And guys, remember this holiday season. No matter who you are, where you go, or what you do, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 